You are now tuning in to the Own the Build podcast. Join Sealing's very own Paul Hemming, where each week he interviews experts from the world of construction and asks all the important questions around intelligent construction management. Hello and welcome to episode 140 of the Own the Build podcast with me, Paul Hemming. As always, I am continuing our free giveaway. And today I've linked an ebook that I co wrote about payment notices a few years ago. You can download that ebook by going to the show notes now. And the context of the book is that you are a main contractor working on a JCT contract or any contract for that matter. You've employed a major subcontractor on a nine month program. And in month eight, you've gone on holiday or you've done something silly and you've forgotten to issue the payment certificate on time. So the question being, what do you do in that situation? My background is I was always a subcontractor, so I know what I would do, but I wanted to ask from a main contractor's perspective, what would you do? I asked an expert adjudicator and we discuss it all in that ebook. So go and check that out right now. I think you'll get great value from it. Give me some feedback. Loads of you reaching out to me on LinkedIn and on email lately particularly for those contract audit documents. Loving to hear from you. So give me a shout by all means. On to the show. So in the studio today, we have got Gavin Coyle, who is CEO of Coyle Group, a group of companies serving the safety sector in the construction industry. Gavin is a thought leader. He's a speaker, a safety mentor. He holds a level nine MBS in workplace safety, a diploma in safety, a certificate in law, I'm getting tired, and with and also a diploma in corporate governance. I say this all the time, Gavin, when I welcome guests to the show. I'm tired just narrating what it is that you do. So I can't even imagine how tired you are doing it. Welcome to the show, mate. I will shut up. How are you doing? Paul, how are you doing? I'm delighted to be on the show and uh, thanks for having me. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. I will tell you something else, Gavin. Despite my brummy accent, I have dual nationality to both the UK and Ireland, and listeners to this show will know that I love an Irish accent. So all the happier to have an Irishman on the show. Yeah, I think we have to thank Boyzone and Westlife for that, really, don't we? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, I'm not too sure about that, actually. But I saw that you were a um, keynote speaker at a conference in Singapore in the last week or so, weren't you? Is that a, something that you travelled to, or was that... Uh, an online thing talk to us about that uh, I was due to travel um, but the conference was changing sort of the agenda and dates and so we couldn't pre-book so what we decided to do was do it online and that was with the Institute of, of Safety and Health which is if you want to do your chartership in health and safety IOSH is that body that represents chartership of safety so it was the Singapore branch and uh, it was um safety leaders in in that region uh, had come together for a one-day conference so they asked me to do a keynote speaking on it. Shame you didn't get to go out there Gavin it's a cool place to go really really cool place I liked it. Yeah I have been what a beautiful place in terms of it's very clean very friendly very safe uh, great atmosphere as well in the in the the main strip isn't it? Yeah yeah no it's, it's really really cool but this sadly is a construction podcast it's not a travel podcast i wanted to be a travel writer when i was younger but sadly here we are talking about <laughs> construction talk to me and talk to us i should say gavin about your journey 
your experience and your what you are doing today in construction? So I left school when I was 17, went straight into construction, loved it, was working for a very successful um, Irish company in the uh, drywall fit-out um, space, but they were also doing clean room fit-outs as well as interior fit-outs. So would have done a lot of work in Oxford Street, fitting out different retail stores, but also would have done a lot of commercial hotels and uh, major projects in terms of drywall. And then on the more technical space, it was clean room environments such as pharmaceuticals and, you know, large uh, scale, hyperscale stuff. And the American multinationals were moving into Ireland in a big way. And it was all hyperscale projects that they were building. And so um, with them, they brought their models. And one of their models was we, they wanted a full time health and safety professional on their projects. So. That was new in Ireland at the time. Um, and the finger When was point, this? You're talking like uh, late 80s, early 90s, you know. And health and um, safety was new to Ireland at that point, in that context. In that I mean. context, yeah. It's, it's, it's like obviously moved on. But like we're talking 1955 was the Factory Act in Ireland. And then it went to 1988, I think it was, the Workplace um, Safety Act. So the second big framework legislation was literally only out a couple of years but then the american guys decided no if we're going to build these big projects we don't want to have a fatality on our hands and then reputational damage we want full-time safety professionals for every individual contractor that they provide that and then they had the model of privacy project management on top of that so it just goes to show you and it was nothing to do with the company that i was working with at the time but if we all remember sort of the mentality, it was like, that's in the way. I don't need that. I have to get on with the job. And Kevin, you've just come out of school. You have a bit of <laughs> something in your head that you've just finished school. I don't know what yeah, that yeah, theory yeah. Or, or methodology was, but you're going to that meeting because I don't have time and none of us have time. So that's where I, I suppose got thrown into a safety meeting and sort of immediately loved the whole concept of, making people safe and reducing risk and potentially saving people's lives by putting the right measures in place. But, I, you know, very green, no education in the area, no subject matter background, no guide or mentor. Really, I, th I think when I say this, I'm going to sound absurd but i'm going to try and say it anyway so stick with me, right? Now, what you, what you just described was, you know, I loved the idea of making people safe, of, you know, creating environments where people could work well and be safe, et cetera, et cetera, save lives. Now, that sentence, those sentences, I should say, to me, it makes perfect sense, right, that you would want to do that. However, the narrative or the prevailing, yeah, the prevailing narrative in the industry is kind of what you described at the very start there of, oh, Safety, roll your eyes. Oh, does he have to come into the meeting? Like, blah, 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 blah. So two two part question, really. Number one, what is the thing that actually draws you to safety? And two, how does it make you feel that eye rolling, which it sounds like you've started to experience from day dot in your career? Well, it's a lot more, uh, the, the, the attitude has changed and has become more mature, a lot more mature in today's environment. And anybody will tell you that, uh, you know, the days of, you know, get that job done. We need to get out of here. 
I don't care if you don't have gloves, just get on with it. You know, we have to move on to the next job. Those, I remember those conversations and they were genuine and they were, weren't meant to be in a way that was, you know, I want, I want you to die <laughs> doing the job, but they were, but they were done like, because there was, that was just the, the mentality and the culture within construction at the time. It was like, get the job done, whatever that I stopped moaning about it and get on with it. Whereas now it's more, hold on a minute. I could be held up into court or I could be brought sued or, you know, this guy could lose his life and I'm going to be, I don't want to be standing in front of the wife and kids and all that kind of stuff. So that, um, we've moved on a lot more and th- there's another discussion to be had about that, which, uh, which is what I'm very strongly passionate about, which is we, we, we need to have a more mature look at how we talk about safety. And you can't just go into leaders of safety and say, do you know what? If you're going to do that, you're going to get prosecuted and you're going to go to jail and you're going to get fined. I think, uh, well, I know business owners are desensitized to that message because genuinely, they don't do it for for reckless reasons, and there's very is very minute level of people that are, are on the spectrum of recklessness. Taking wild and, risks know, with their staff and their employees. Yeah, no yeah, one that wants day to is do gone. it. Yeah. You know, let's be fair. Unless it's in a particular region of the world where it just hasn't matured beyond uh, a certain point, it doesn't generally happen. So, in terms of myself, and like I wasn't sort of, you know, beating down the drum, but from a safety perspective, any safety professionals that we found that were really good always had a real good spot from empathy, number one, and for um, having that people person connection, number two. And generally, if people are listening to your podcast, which I know there's a lot of people that do that, you know, you will see probably a a less or below average or below par safety person who doesn't have empathy number one and doesn't have a people people skills number two i've definitely experienced that in my time gavin okay (laughs) yeah so um without you know there's no bias but like no but you can experience that with any role right project manager qs site manager whoever that, that that exists so why is it I'm not singling out health and safety guys at all, far from it, but why do you say empathy is so important as a health and safety professional? Like, you know, it's very similar. I put it very similar to paramedics uh, into that sort of bracket, and I haven't really talked about it that much, but I would see health and safety people, um, you know, having that wanting to, to help people approach, you know, for genuine reasons, and they're not doing it for monetary reasons yeah you, you want to pay the bills and, and the money in health and safety is through the roof at the moment it's gone off the scale in terms of salaries and uh, where that's gone which is good but obviously um good for you <laughs> yeah but it's attracting some of the it, it does it does attract people that shouldn't be in safety and let's be honest with you that happens in every industry it's not just safety so i'm not painting a brush on that but very quick we can see even from my own uh company you know, whether people have that sort of connection with other people. And if you don't have that connection, well, then you're not going to break the boundaries on the barriers of uh, people's sort of, um, you know, I, I don't want to do this. I need to get on with my job um, type of approach. Health and safety people should be able to bring people with them and they should be able to tell a story that sells why we're all doing this and what, you know, the reason for this. But as I've matured as a safety profession, what I've learned is, you know, that's all very good, but the job still does have to be done and we still need to win more work and we still need to make profit and we still need to drive this machine and safety is just a part of that. So, you know, you can't saturate the business with safety and then choke the hell out of it and then all of a sudden 
it's on the floor because you've just paralyzed all the different divisions. It needs to be harmonized and integrated. Absolutely. And I mean, I think one of the things that we will discuss later in the show is, you know, changing that emphasis of it as a cost center to maybe being a profit center, which I want to talk to you about. I thought was really interesting. But I guess it's quite, you know, even just reflecting on what you said then, at the start of the show where I was talking about, you know, it sounded like a stupid sentence when people roll their eyes and you're saying, I'm here to not save your life, but, you know, make your working environment safe. And you just compared health and safety to paramedics then. I've never heard or considered that as a... Like, like, compa- yeah, as a parallel. Thank you. Much better way of putting it. So, But that parallel, it really echoes, doesn't it? It rhymes. So it makes sense. So why is it that we can't create an because if a paramedic comes onto a building site they are going to be you know respected you know appreciated you know i'm not saying that health and safety professionals are not respected and appreciated but it's definitely a different context it's that ah there's a there may be a problem here or a problem may be caused but you don't get that with a paramedic why do we have that how do we shift that i i i think this is to be fair the higher the value of the industry and uh, the more regulatory the environment, the more respect the safety person gets, the lower the barriers of regulatory environment and the lower value contracts or projects, as in everybody's fighting for a pound, you know, or over a pound. If you're in that environment, it's to- it can be toxic and therefore safety is in the way. And therefore, those conversations that you're just having or that, that angle that you're coming at, is in that environment. Yeah, what, what we're trying to say is like, as you go, I wouldn't say, I don't want to say up the food chain, but as there's more value in the project for everybody, safety actually <laughs> comes up in value as well with people because I want to make sure that I'm safe because I, I want to keep this job. I want to make sure I'm safe because I'm making plenty of money. I want to continue to make plenty of money and it's paying the mortgage, give me a nice car and a li- nice lifestyle. And I'm going to keep the safety guy happy and I want to get on with him because I don't want him and, and me having a clash or horror. And therefore, you know, I'm going to do everything I can to show and demonstrate that I'm a great tradesperson, but I'm also a safe tradesperson. And therefore, and then all of a sudden, you know, I've seen this in our own, like the coil group that we run only operates in the power generation utilities and wind energy sector. And it's just a totally different conversation with those individuals. But we have done work in construction because in the past. Because the, the construction projects or the infrastructure projects that you worked in, that you're involved in, sorry, at that level, are at such... Such a high, high level. Yeah, that makes and sense. There's enough money to move around the ship for everybody and everybody's making money and everybody's happy. What we see, we have seen the construction element of side of things where it's, you know, domestic, residential, mixed construction and... There's so much pressure coming at different angles into that environment. Safety generally gets hit. Really? And, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's really interesting that you say that. We've talked with numerous people. I mean, we've talked with people in, in you know, wind and those sectors as well. But, you know, a lot of the people in the commercial residential sector and the margins and the cash flow hamper the sector so much and that only it's funny isn't it you talk we talk about a lot in you know progress program you know how you manage your supply chain supply chain relationships and how it impacts those but it's it's interesting to hear you say 
Yeah, and safety. Safety is getting getting cut to the bone as well, right? If that's maybe that's being... That's called a spade. The construction industry is completely fragmented. The general construction industry is completely fragmented. And everybody's doing their own thing and has their own agendas. And the bigger guys in construction that made it, that were the guys that were rolling up their sleeves and doing the pavements and doing the, you know, the civils work and all that kind of stuff, then all of a sudden they became very intelligent over a period of time and said, you know what, I don't need to do this anymore. I'm just going to get agency guys in. And I know so much about the job. I can project manage this job. I can put in a great team at the top. And we're going to educate these guys how this job should be done. And we're going to manage that process. But we're going to spend more of our time winning more work and convincing more clients to use us and building our brand and less of our time stuck in, in a cement mixer. And I know I'm kind of, I'm not being, I don't want to paint a picture here, but like, but if you, if you look at it from a, from a blunt Irish man's point of view, that's what's happened. And the, the smart guys got out, got out of building and said, no, we're going to be, we're going to be project managers now. Um, and it suits the agenda to have um, a divide and conquer rule where you have all these contractors that are pitted against each other to try and win work. And then you have this, you know, tier one system where these guys hold all the cards and hold all the relationships and they're able to build on those relationships because they have time and they have now got the, the resources and they have de-risked, they have de-risked their own business because, you know, they're not going to go out of, out of business, um, through mismanagement or financial uh, issues or labor issues or health and safety issues. They've offloaded or outsourced very smartly, I might add all of those and then distributed amongst all the smaller guys. So, you know, we've seen situations where some guys are so small that they've been soaked into one company and that one company then has, you know, pretty much owned them in such a way that they actually can't even bring on more work themselves and they're so loyal and then they're caught in this financial turmoil where they're waiting on the next paycheck in order to put their heads above above water because they're in you know they're in too far too deep with this particular uh, company because they've you know sold themselves to one particular identity and that one identity has soaked them all up you know we could talk for hours about the the challenges and the problems and the fragmentation particularly the fragmentation thing that you touch on it's such a uh, such a problem for so many reasons a problem for development you know, transformation as well. You know, the fact that project teams, sorry, break up and, you know, all that knowledge is lost. There's so many reasons why fragmentation holds us back. And I'm sure it's the same in the safety field as well. What I want to do is I want to talk to you after the break about changing safety as being seen as a compliance or cost center and take it to being seen as a profit center. But we will do that right after this break. Hello, it's me again. I wanted to share a quick story with you on why I co-founded Sealink with my best mate, Chris. Chris and I, we're both QSs, and this is going to sound sad, but one night we were sat in the pub talking about subcontract tendering and we realised the industry had a problem. Number one, procurement was too paper-based. Number two, it was too time-consuming and every QS had their own unique way of doing things. And number three, perhaps most importantly, if you want to competitively tender, you need to know hundreds of the best subcontractors. We simply didn't. 
That's why we created C-Link. It's software to solve subcontract tendering. We wanted to remove these challenges and help the industry get better. So if you, or someone you know, tenders with subcontractors, you've got to see our software. Head over to our link, www.get.c-link.com forward slash podcast to find out more. I will include it in the description box. So again, there's no excuses. Now, let's get right back to the show. So, Gavin, what I want to talk to you about now and where you got my interest most piqued when we were speaking before uh, we started recording was, and I'm a QS, so I love a bit of financials and numbers, don't I? Don't switch off. What I wanted to talk about was you said that you believe you can turn safety from a compliance department and effectively a cost center for a business to being a profit center for a business. And I know we've spoken before about examples where you've seen that happen in companies. I just, first and foremost, just like to talk to you about that and hear your perspective on it. Yeah, you know, a lot of my communications will be with leaders themselves or owners of businesses. And, you know, you build up a lot of relationship and a lot of sort of two-way communication with these guys and you start to understand what ticks their boxes and obviously profit is it ticks everybody's box and it goes back to sort of the old mantra of you know they're desensitized to that whole you're going to go to jail and you're going to get sued and all this kind of stuff that doesn't doesn't stick on them anymore but if you tell them that the you know let's 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 start looking at the positive ways of getting the most out of the areas that you feel uncomfortable with. Well, I feel uncomfortable with safety. I know I, I don't sleep well at night because I want to make sure that I don't get that phone call. So, okay, so how do we look at that in such a way that it makes it a positive environment for your business and it's integrated into the way your culture is and the way you want to scale your business? And so, you know, we had a situation with one particular company as and it's been numerous examples, but one particular company they have over fifty million turnover, working in the utility industry, over a hundred guys working for them. And when we went in to do a gap analysis, just to see, you know, where are you at? Get a get a landscape view of what's what the mood is within the business. Talk to the individuals that were working in the in in the field. Most of them were actually working in trench boxes when they should have been working on overhead power lines. So they were employed as overhead power line workers, but they were working in trenches. And we're like, this is like, there was other things, but this was kind of, oh my God. It was consistent, yeah. yeah. It's like, what what happened, guys? And it's like, well, the company won this government contract and they came to us and they said, look, you know, you're solid for the next 15 to 20 years. You're going to get more money. Yeah, you won't won't be working on overhead power lines, but you're going to be doing a job that's less less of a competent need in terms of won't be as challenging but you're going to get more money and you're going to guarantee your so the guys were like yeah you know what are you going to say no so um but they were demotivated and they were they weren't you know fully honest because they were just like going through the motions if you like so we went back to the company and said look there is companies out there that specifically only do that particular task do you know that and they said well we've heard of that but we don't want to go down that route. And then when we spoke to them and we got a debate going with the boards and the owners, 
the reason they didn't want anybody into the business was because they didn't want to expose their clients to other potential competitors or companies that might turn around and have a better bond than they do with their client and therefore take the relationship away from them and then they lose that client to that new identity. Amazing, like a 50 million turnover business and I was trying to convince them to, and this is coming from a safety perspective, to say, if you're good enough at your job, if you've got safety, quality, production and cost all moving in momentum, you shouldn't have any fear of losing any client. And if you do lose a client, well, that client was going to go anyway. Now, obviously, we're talking multi-million, so it's not like as if you don't you don't want to lose a client. But you have to be strong, convicted in your own you know, reputation and your own brand and, you know, live the brand and don't just have these fancy marketing tools to say who we are and what, what we want and all this kind of stuff. I have to say it was weeks in the making to get them to go to tender, just to actually accept that they were going to go out to tender. And they did. And we introduced one company that we knew, but we didn't look, no bias. Whereas look, it's up to you whether they're right or wrong. And they actually went with that particular company and because they had all the knowledge of the labor time, the materials, everything costed because they knew the job inside out. They were able to understand the amount of profit that they were going to make by giving that award to that particular contractor. That particular contractor went from 20 people up to nearly 200 people today because they won that contract. And then the client that we were representing, they took all the guys out of the trenches around the holes. They repurposed them back onto the overhead power lines. They went back to their existing uh, client base and said, you know, all those projects that are in the pipeline. Yeah, well, we can do them now. And so now they created more revenue for themselves because they, they, they had more capacity. And we talk a lot about in the, our business of safety model, we talk a lot about capacity. And like, I still speak to the directors of those businesses. They say, Kevin, million plus, you've, you've made us a million plus just by doing that, ha- having that safety approach of, Let's look at it from a redesign, reconstruction. Let's make people more competent in what they're competent in doing and putting them to task and allowing them the freedom and the expression to to do stuff that they love doing. You know, it's funny because it was going back a few months now, maybe to the start of this year, we did an episode where we were talking about insurance policies and construction companies almost always doing things that they're not covered for in terms of their insurance. And, you know, that example of, you know, previously working on overhead power lines and now working in trenches. And, like, you go and look at it and think, God, that's not what we, that's not what we say we're doing, whether that's outwardly as a business or whether we, that's what you say on your insurance. And it's not just because that, that's not a problem. It's because, you know, you see a business opportunity, you take that business opportunity. That's all granted. But it's exactly the same thing. Whereas, but then if an insurance company had turned up on that site or to that project because something had happened and they turned up and said, hang on a minute, it says on your insurance policy that you only do overhead power lines and everyone's down in the trenches. So when you said that, it instantly made me think about exactly that. Is it something that you see often where... Yeah. So we're living in a market place at the moment globally that has uh, more production than it has labor. And that's true to say for every trade and every even health and safety, there is a global shortage of labor in the market. And what's happening is the clients are turning to the existing contractors 
and saying, look, we know you do drywall, but can you do the painting as well? Because we just can't get a painter. And now all of a sudden people are starting to get involved with stuff as add-ons and it's dangerous territory because you're going away from your core competency. It's difficult enough to do what you're good at without having to bring in other stuff. And I know people come up with these models of saying, oh, look, we'll create another division. I'll poach in a manager from a painting and decorating company and he'll manage all that business. It's distraction. It's, you know, moving from the core competency. The real smart clients, the multinationals included that we work for, will pick you up like in a minute and go, do you know what? That person is too distracted. They're not focused. They don't have a core competency. They don't have a niche and therefore they're a risk to the business. But some of the companies that wouldn't, would be a bit more loose in terms of their model would maybe suggest, do you know what it'll do? Cause you know, I can't get anyone else. I, I don't have time to be looking for anybody else. We, you know, Jack we need to get the job done. Master of none, right? It's happening guys. It's happening. And, and anybody that's listened to the podcast will resonate with the fact that the labor shortage is actually having an effect on, on construction and it's going to have an effect on safety. And I don't want to be the dooms guy here, but you know, we're going to get into situations where there's a capacity issue. And I keep on talking about capacity where people are tendering for works as well. And next thing, all of a sudden they're winning these projects and they weren't expecting to win some of these projects and they're taking them on and they're saying, look, it's fine. We'll just hire in extra people and all this kind of stuff. I wanted to ask you about that actually from your perspective as a safety professional, because obviously when it comes to doing the procurement as a QS project manager, commercial manager, whoever you are, a lot of people listening to these shows will be going through the procurement process and finding a skill shortage, a labor shortage, or if you were procuring 10 years ago versus five years ago versus today, you'll know that it's the market is tightening, let's say. Now, we talk a lot about the financial and time impact of that, but you just touched on something there which I never really thought about, but it makes perfect sense with regards to the safety impacts. Have you seen a shift in terms of the fact that now there is a tightening in the labor market and thus the skills market, there's a skill shortage. Have you seen there being a bit of an impact in terms of safety? Is is it impacting you know accidents on site or anything like that? This is the, so this is the conundrum with safety is safety is kind of like a non-event. So it's, you know, you're constantly talking about safety and you're constantly trying to be safe and you're tr- putting in measures for safety, but you're really talking about a non-event until it's an event. And then all of a sudden you were talking about statistics, but the, the issue with the, and this is where we, we'll touch on the business of safety later on. This is where safety needs to grow up and become a new generation. And, and people need to have a new look at, at what safety is. We're not moving safety forward. Safety is still having the same injuries, the same impacts. Agriculture is still the number one sector for killing people or for people dying or within the workplace. Construction is in the top three and always in around there. We're continually still having manual handling issues. We're still having work at height issues. And, and you know, machinery and driving for work is still a massive killing uh, in, in, in that respect. So it's very it's very hard to tie the two together, uh, is, what, is what I'm trying to say, Paul, in that regard. I understand. But it makes sense that the, that the trend of a tightening labour market does you know, like create the environment where oh, potentially, yeah. yes, costs go up. Yes, 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 time. There's a shortage in in supply, right? And therefore, there may also be a bit of a spike potentially in 
safety and that's even more reason to be focused on it one one thing you talked there about is the the business of of safety let, let let's discuss that so talk to me about the business of safety so back to i suppose the original case study major one so we spoke about with the guys in trenches and overhead overhead lines but if you look at safety in every part of your business there is some element of safety that is a, that is a touch point within that department so let's look at recruitment so there's safety involved in recruitment so what would what what would you think is involved in, in recruitment well you've got training to be done on the person you've got to bring them up to a competency level there's some element of there's inductions and onboarding and all that kind of stuff. There's some element of safety in that. What element of safety is involved with procurement? So you're going to have to allow for all the training and all the, the sort of resources that has to be put into safety and probably a safety professional full time on the job or two or three and stuff like that. And you have to allow for all of that within procurement. You can go right through the whole business of uh, an operation and have some touch point in safety. So what we're asking leaders to do is you don't need us. You know, we have a business of safety program, but you don't need to be anyone with an analytical view should be able to get a spreadsheet and say, right, let's look at what we're doing in regards to safety within each division, each department, and how much is a spend within that department on safety and measure that. And then what is the output? What's the drop out of that? And look at the drop and actually have an open conversation with all the stakeholders, including the workers and say, is it making sense, guys? And people are going to, yeah, that's brilliant. Actually, that, that changed the way I do things and I do things better and I do things more efficient. And other people are going, no, that's actually done nothing for me, to be honest with you. So I don't know. I don't even know why we're doing it because there's a whole marketing spend going on in health and safety as well. That's taking you away from the core business in terms of what you're trying to achieve. And we don't want people spending money for the sake of spending money. And that's coming out of profit. And then, the, you know, it, it, it fudges safety as well because it's like, hi, we're, you know, we've done it because the clients like to see us doing these marketing program, you know, safety culture programs where all, everybody has to fill out these forms once a week and stuff like that. Absolute crap. Show me what the result of that program has been. Demonstrate to me that that program has made a, an impact to your business. And when you get the spreadsheets, this is kind of, it, once you get in and get a momentum going on this, it's actually a very fun topic because you start looking and going, holy mother God, we're spending thousands on this stuff. Like, and yet the workers are screaming out because somebody has decided to pay less for gloves when there's better gloves that, that last longer, that they don't have to rip off their hands every Friday and throw in the bin that, you know, are lasting for the next couple of, weeks or whatever else and you know when you start seeing uh physical impacts uh for the workers that make it a you know more of a, of a an impact in terms of helping them to do their job better that's what safety is about and is that something that you see particularly with the bigger companies that we're doing what we've always done and therefore naturally spending huge amounts of money on health and safety but there's a disconnect between what we've always done and the conversations with the people and the workers who it's affecting. And if you were in a position where you were speaking directly to your workforce, whether on or off site, you'd actually be getting that feedback loop. And there's a lot of money that is being spent that doesn't need to be spent. Hundred percent. We we we've we've loads of instances of that. And um, you know, I I'm happy to be challenged that we can probably cut anybody's spend on safety up to 50% and 
on what they're currently spending on safety. I guarantee you we will hit close to that figure and we have done because, you know, it gets to the stage where it starts to become on one project and then that get rolls into the next project and then someone else hears, well, that's the way we've done that in the last project. The next thing all of a sudden, it's right across the nation of all the projects that's going on. So like, you know, one cost element of one pack of gloves or one whatever or one training course, for example. So let's look at an example. Give me an example of, of lost money. People working in a cabin that are doing administrative tasks and they all have to do manual handling training because you're in an office environment. Why? Because they might have to lift up a box of paper and put it on the table. This is why people think, this is why people roll their eyes, I think, a little bit. But like, isn't it? But, but we're enabling this to happen, you know, and then as leaders, as, in, as, as a collective, you know, let's go away from the, the fragmentation and come together and say, let's all come together and say, hold on a minute. Why are we not going paperless? Why can we not remove the paper out of the cabin completely so that they don't have to go to the filing cabinet? They don't have to lift this box out and put in the paper or whatever else. Why in God's name, with all the software that's out there at the moment, that is in some cases free, that we can't just go paperless in a lot of cases? Or if we can't, why is it we can't outsource all the printing to a printing company and therefore saving time for that person to have to print all this? How many times have you gone into a cabinet and there's a there's a guy or a woman there standing at the printer and you're going, oh my God, just just save that person. And like, it, it, like, it galls me, it absolutely <laughs> galls me. So there's, there's, there's a place for manual handling training and yes, there's a legal requirement. And in some cases, people go over the board and say, yeah, it's an extra add-on. But like, it's the concept of, of discussion and debate that I want people to open their minds to. It's not specifically to say, get rid do of my Do this or handling. do that. Yeah, no, that, ma- that makes perfect sense. And we're, c- we're coming to the end of the show, Gavin. And I guess one question that I'd like to ask you is, if you could change one thing about construction to make it better, what is it that you would change? To be quite honest with you, and <laughs> I don't know where this is going to come back on you or me, but <laughs> I believe a lot of the issues start in, start in procurement and the procurement of projects and it's not uh, procurement. you're going to be nasty to QS's now are you? we were getting on I'm so well I'm actually not <laughs> I'm actually not I'm actually not I believe that and I strongly believe that that, uh, and we've seen evidence of it where clients are happy to pay the 1 or 2% extra if they know they're going to employ a safe company and a reputable company and we need to allow people the time to actually get on these jobs and prepare for these jobs and I know from talking to procurement people, that's a bugbear of theirs is they've done all the procurement. The next thing, all of a sudden, someone has driven go, go, the, go, 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 the go. project forward. Yeah, absolutely. Go, 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 go. And nobody's prepared and everything is in reactive mode. And so what I would like to see is in the procurement section is that there's more capacity allowed to feed into jobs so that there's a soft landing rather than, a you know, Air Force One landed onto, onto the project in, on day one. You know, it's it's. You know what? You could, you almost couldn't. You, our entire business and ethos, Gavin at Sealink, is about completely re-rationalizing and changing changing the way that procurement happens, giving yourself more time, more money, more intelligence to go through that process. So. That question I promised to my listeners was not rehearsed, but I completely and utterly agree with with you there, honestly, Gavin, in that that's how we built our business. Now, there's there's different drivers in terms of you're thinking of it from a safety angle, I'm thinking of it from a 
you know, a genuine procurement professional's angle. But the two completely sit together and with more time, more focus, less of this race to the bottom mentality from, from the clients at the top, we will create an environment where if you procure better, you deliver better, you have better safety on site and 100%. all of those different things. So I completely 100%. agree with you. 100%. And then everything starts falling into place. And one of the things that before you finish up that we love to see is momentum. And we've all seen and we've all been on a project where there's great momentum, great buzz, great atmosphere, and everybody loves the job. But do you know the one thing that's the one common denominator amongst all of that? Everybody's making money. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what we're all here to do, isn't it? We're all here to make money. That's why we're uh, that's why we're in business. But I completely agree. And I think that was an absolutely perfectly scripted, unscripted way of ending the show, uh, Gavin. <laughs> Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming on. I will be leaving no your details, your company's details in the show notes so everyone can get in touch. Thanks for taking the time. And like I said, thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, and thank you. And thanks for everybody. And well done with the podcast. It's brilliant. Thanks very much, Gavin. Guys, I will speak to you all next week. Have a good one and take care.